Hey folks, Eric Smith here, radio voice of the Toronto Raptors, NBA host and analyst with Sportsnet. I want to shout out my man Chris and 30 Minutes Live with CDP. Even though I know Chris, you're not a Toronto sports guy. You've got those allegiances to the Detroit-Windsor area, the Pistons, the Red Wings, the Tigers, and for some reason the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm still trying to figure that one out, Chris. Why'd you drop the Lions? Why'd you drop the Lions, Chris? There's got to be a reason there. We'll have to fill uh, everybody in on that another time, I suppose. But again... Check out 30 Minutes Live with CDP every Wednesday and Friday. It's on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook Live, you name it. Chris is everywhere across all platforms. And if you just want to check out the audio version, maybe you're going out for a walk and you just want a podcast or something, you can get it on Apple, Google Podcasts as well, Spotify, Anchor FM, and Radio Public. So again, I told you, Chris is everywhere. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that I can be a guest on the show at some point this summer as well. Wednesdays and Fridays, 30 minutes live with CDP. Check it out. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, Live with CDP on this uh, Friday, August 6th. Uh, I'm starting a little bit early today, but uh, my uh, guest uh, is uh, today's guest is Chuck Swarski, uh, the longtime radio voice of the Chicago Bulls on the 670 to score in Chicago. And uh, I really appreciate Chuck coming on here today. Just give me one second, guys, and I will bring on uh, uh, Chuck here today. And I'll just put on his uh, Twitter feed if you guys would like to follow him on Twitter. Just one moment. I'm going to bring on uh, the voice of the Chicago Bulls. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning. Yeah. You, you got your Pistons hat on, I see. Yeah, I'm a huge Pistons fan. And I guess you got my uh, you got the Montreal Expos hat on. Yes. Jean Bacabella. <laughs> I, I hope you one have day to Google Jean Bacabella, by the way, for those who are saying Expos. Who are the Expos? Who's John Bacabella? It's all good. Definitely. Thank you so much again, Chuck, for coming on today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And like I said, I'm a huge sports fan. I uh, I got my passion ignited for this a couple years ago, uh, volunteering with a, a Canadian League basketball league team called the Guelph Nighthawks. I wish they were around when you were in Toronto. Great basketball. It's uh, a lot of it's Canadian players, but um, I hope one day maybe you'll be able to see one of these CEBL games. Yeah, I'd love to. Honestly, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm very excited about the growth of basketball in Canada. You know, this is a quick story. So we, we moved from Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I was doing the University of Michigan games. And in 1998, I got the Raptors job. And so we go across the border through Windsor, from Detroit to Windsor. And the customs attendant is at the border. And she said, what brings you to Canada? I said, I am the new play-by-play -play voice of the Toronto Raptors. She was the Raptors. You guys play great pitch. <laughs> and, and I said, pitch like soccer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, this is basketball. And then, of course, Vince Carter came on the scene. Everyone knew who the Raptors were. I was going to say, uh, it's hard to believe. I think you just finished your uh, 13th year with the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, it's hard to believe. I've actually called more Bulls games than Raptors games. Uh, but that time goes by so quickly, especially in the NBA when you're playing like every other night. But, uh, you know, I'm truly blessed to be going into my 24th year in the NBA. And I was going to say, um, everybody that I've met 
on here on my podcast, uh, John Murphy, Bob Soshi, yourself, Ken Daniels of the Red Wings. Everyone has been great with me. And uh, I've, um, and I also am volunteering with Rogers TV as a camera operator. And I've, it took me almost 48 years, but I, I found my passion in life. And this is something I really want to pursue. Yeah, I'm happy for you, Chris, because, you know, whatever your passion is, whether it's broadcasting, whether it's teaching, whether it's working in retail, whether it's being a doctor, uh, you know, the truth of the matter is everyone somehow, some way has a journey to passion. And I always advise whether it's my own children or whether it's the person next door or when I'm at a speaking engagement, find your passion and then go for it. And you're going to have to pay the price. I mean, you know what? If you have to put in extra hours, put in extra hours. If you're a broadcaster right now, somewhere in Canada or the States or globally where your podcast is being reached, you know, you, you may have to relocate. You may have to move. It's hard. I get it. But you know what? No one said it was going to be easy. And my approach is this. If you're selfless, and you really want to put the time, the energy, the skill set, and the desire, the dedication, and common sense into what you want to do, you're going to be successful. At what level? I'm not sure, but you will be successful because this is what it's all about. This is called the heart. And the heart is a marvelous instrument, both for our bodies and our minds. Totally agree. I always had a passion for sports, Chuck, but I never had the uh, technology or the ability to do what I'm doing with this podcast 20, 25 years ago. But uh, one of the guys who kind of uh, helped uh, get my uh, passion for this was Vince Papale, who played for the Philadelphia Eagles in the 70s, uh, the movie The Invincible. And he's kind of talked to me on social media. And he's kind of been the, if he could do it, anyone could do it because he he became one of the oldest rookies ever to make it in the NFL. And he told me, maybe you'll become one of the oldest rookies to make it in broadcasting. So I think that's great. By the way, for the Eagles fans, and I hope they do this because the, you know, the, the NFL has um, released a statement just a couple of weeks ago that they're going to incorporate a second team helmet for the 2022 season, I believe. And I hope the Eagles go back to where they were, because I love those Kelly green and silver uniforms, the days of uh, Jaworski and Harold Carmichael. And, uh, you know, I just love those uniforms. And so if you're an Eagles fan, please write the front office and say, we got to go throwbacks. Okay. That's all I want to say. I'm no, not, that, I'm not, I'm just not feeling that little like deep green forest green look with the no, 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 no. I totally agree with you. And like I said, look at the teams like the Bulls, the Pistons, the Red Wings, the Yankees, the Red Sox, Dodgers, tradition. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We should get on a tangent about uniforms. So when I was in Detroit, they came out with the teal uniforms. Yes. Oh, and yes. I'm thinking, what are you doing? Detroit is red, white, and blue, the motor city. I mean, the people in Detroit are awesome. And I'm thinking, teal? Really? Teal? And so here's the story. No one liked them. The players that I spoke to did not like them. But teal was in vogue. You know, it was the new, oh, this is the mid-90s color. And what happened is because the ducks and the sharks were wearing teal, and oh, teal is great. 
No. And they lasted only a couple, three years before people said, let's get rid of them. But now, like, the players say, oh, Teal is cool. Yeah, the throwback Pistons. At the time, no. And the same thing happened with the Raptors. When I was doing the Raptors, we wore this big dinosaur with pinstripes. And the players couldn't stand them. Players did not like them. And so now, in this new generation, you know, when they wear them, oh, yeah, these are pretty cool. What? Anyway, so be that as it may, let's talk whatever you want to talk about. I was going to say, um, yeah, I, like I said, I've also learned to uh, – one of the guys who's helping me out with my podcast, too, you can't just script everything. You have to learn to talk to your guests like they're one of your friends and stuff like that. Like Hazel May with Sportsnet, I always watch how she interviews some of the Blue Jay players, and she does a really great job for them as well. And I, I try to pick watch other people and how they do interviews and stuff like that as well. Good, good, good. Yeah, you know, I remember when Hazel – first came on the scene in Toronto. And, you know, I, I love to see the growth of young people and see where their journey takes them. Uh, Eric Smith did the open for your show. Eric did pre-half and post and did just about everything for the Fan 590 when I first met Eric in 1998. And I am so happy for him. He is such a wonderful man and a great father, great husband. And to see Eric where he is today, I, it brings so much joy to my heart. He's a fantastic human being. I'm going to be trying to get him and, and Paul Jones, hopefully, on my podcast one day. But, Eric, uh, I used him for memo. I didn't use him for memo, but I, I, I requested a memo for him, and uh, he knew me from – Instagram and he did he probably did one of the greatest promos or openings uh ever per he hit it perfectly great I'm so, you know what well that doesn't surprise me because Eric is the one you know one time he can do it boom he doesn't need two or three or four takes like the rest of us one take boom well I'm definitely going to request you for a memo one day yeah. as well so definitely uh, like okay. I said I try to be creative with my podcast and I knew you were coming on so I had to use Eric Smith but I have different uh, intros for different guests and I did put the United Center in the background for you too I Jack. see thank you just to honor you so this StreamYard uh, podcasting thing is just amazing the technology nowadays it is it is amazing so thank you for that no problem okay we'll get to the first question and the first one you um I oh just a second I made a one second. Uh, one second. I made a boo-boo here. Okay. Uh, basically, um, uh, everybody knows who you are, Chuck, but uh, can you just, uh, when did you know that you wanted to pursue a career in the radio industry? And I know you did some TV with WGN, I believe, yep. and also did some TV with um, City TV and TSN, I believe. With That's correct. Uh, well, I knew I wanted to be a sportscaster at the age of five. And uh, I broke my mother's broomstick, used it as a microphone, walking around the house. Uh, yeah, that was that was not good. But it was good for me, not so much for the broom or for my mom. Um, but uh, I, I loved it. Uh, this, this has been a, a joy and a passion. There have been challenges, no question about it. Um, but, you know, to, to do something that I wanted to do from day one. And the older I got, when I started realizing, because the NBA, I grew up in Seattle. We had an expansion team in 1967. And I thought, 
hey, this is awesome. This is great. And so the Sonics in my heart have always had a really special place. But, and I'm so disappointed they left for Memphis. And I get it. It's a business, all that stuff. And that's another story for another day. But I knew I wanted to be a sportscaster. I wanted to be an NBA broadcaster. I would take the sporting news, a publication, would come out with a book every start of the NBA season. And it was the NBA Digest and the NBA Register, all the teams, all the players. And I would take it to bed with me with a flashlight. And I went when, you know, my parents would say, you know, good night, sleep well. No. And I would take the book out. I would memorize players, where they went to school, everything. So if someone said, Walt Bellamy, Indiana University, Knicks, Atlanta, Detroit. Okay, let's throw another name out. Let's go with um, Kevin Lockery. Kevin Lockery, St. John's, played for Baltimore, played for Philadelphia. You know, I mean, this is this is how I roll, you know? And so this is how, you know, Clyde Lee, Vanderbilt, you know, San Francisco, now Golden State Warriors. This is how my mind thinks. I was going to say, and I used to do that back in the 70s. I was born in 72, but I, back then I listened to a lot of radio and a lot of sports magazines to get all my information in that. Yep, and now it's the internet. And But, you know, I'm glad I was born in an era, actually, where because I think I would have been addicted. I'm kind of addicted right now to the internet because there, it comes fast and furious with all this information. So as a kid, I'm glad that I was able to go out and play with my friends in the neighborhood. Yes. We would play like during the summers, we would meet every day at like 9 a.m. We would play, whether it was wiffle ball in a cul-de-sac in the Seattle area where we lived, yeah. uh, or we would go to the ball field from our elementary school and we would just play baseball. And we would break up about noon. Everyone would go home or maybe sometimes we all went to one of our places, you know, either our house, neighbor's house, whatever, ate lunch, back on the ball field, playing basketball, baseball, street hockey, anything. And I loved that era because we became so close with our neighbors. And I'm thinking, you know what, if I was a kid today, I probably would have been, you know, brought up in the e-sport era where I'm on gaming and doing all these things or constantly on the internet. And I would never, ever have bonded with my friends, especially during the summers where there's no school and the interaction is very limited unless you make the effort. So I am very, very thankful for that. I was going to say, Chuck, I can relate to you. I grew up in Oakville, which is a suburb yeah. of Toronto in the oh, 70s. Yeah. And every day after school, street hockey. We would play until 9 o'clock at night. Yeah. And same with baseball and football and yeah. basketball, even though I wasn't the greatest. But uh, I, uh, I'm i glad I grew up back in the 70s when I did as well. I can yeah. relate to you on that. You know, uh, what we would do with street hockey is uh, we would put tennis balls in the freezer and, and trust me, when you take a slap shot with a frozen tennis ball and you get hit, uh, you're going to have a welt. You're going to be black and blue 
for weeks. But it was so much fun, and I, I love those days. I've got a picture of myself when I was about 14 years old playing street hockey, and I've got a, a glove, and I got, I'm got i playing goalie at the time. It was just great. Anyway, so let's get on with some questions. Okay, no problem. I can relate to the tennis ball and the, the orange plastic ball, too. So yeah. I, I, I had a few uh, uh, bruises and all that, too. Yeah. So. Definitely. Um, my next question for you, Chuck, uh, where did you attend school and did you have any mentor or mentors when you were first starting out in the industry? Well, yeah, I did. Um, number one, my, my number one mentor was my father, but he passed away when I was in the sixth grade. Um, very, very disciplined man. Um, loved to do lists like, you know, fix the car. Um, you know, clean up the garage, all these things. He was very, very structured. And um, I guess that carried over into my world because all I have to do is ask my wife. I am very structured, very list oriented, like grocery store. You have to do this, 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 this. I don't mind that. I love lists. Um, so mentorship, uh, Vince Bagley, WBAL-TV in Baltimore. He just passed away at the age of 95. Rest his soul. I lived with him during the summers and his family in Baltimore. Went to Oriole Games training camp with the Colts. I mean, here I am as a kid and I'm thinking, oh my gosh. I mean, you know, I'm walking on the field. There's Johnny Unitas. There's Lenny Moore. There's Art Donovan. There's Gino Marchetti. I'm thinking, what? Um, so, and the Orioles, I mean, Brooks Robinson, Frank Robinson. Yeah, it was crazy. There's Dave McNally. There, there's Jim Pancake Palmer. So that was a great period of time growing up in Baltimore during the summers when I would fly from Seattle, uh, Pete Gross, rest his soul, play-by-play -play announcer, Seattle Seahawks. When I graduated from Ohio University, I went back home to Seattle, worked at Cairo Radio. Pete Gross, phenomenal sports director who knew just how to handle young people coming into the business. He was great. While I was doing my internship through Ohio U, I internship at NBC Radio in Cleveland, was in the sports department. Joe Tate, legendary voice of the Cavaliers. He just passed away, unfortunately, a couple of months ago. Joe Tate was awesome. I went over to his house every day, every day before work started to pick his brain about broadcasting. How do you keep score while you're doing play-by-play? -play? All these things. He opened up his books. He opened up his house. He opened up everything to me. And we were friends for close to 50 years. I mean, believe it or not, I met him when I was 19 years old and he just passed away. I'm 67. So I knew him for a long period of my life. He was tremendous. And I mean, Ernie Harwell voiced the Tigers. I met Ernie when I was 12 years old, 11 years old. And we spoke weekly and he would write me weekly. And it was just an unbelievable human being. I was going to say, um, I listened to Ernie and Paul for many years on yeah. WJR. I listened to you on WJR, Mitch Album. Yeah. Uh, I, like I said, I grew up in the radio era. Uh, Ernie did something for me once uh, before he passed away. He autographed uh, a ticket stub for my 13th birthday that I went to at Tiger Stadium, the Jays and Tigers. Uh, unfortunately, the Jays beat the Tigers, but he autographed it for me, and it's one of my most uh, cherished, cherished uh, sports memorabilia uh, items they have and it's it's just 
I wish I, I wish they had this podcasting out when Ernie was around because oh. I'm sure Ernie would be a, a nice enough guy to even maybe even come on my podcast. Yeah. Well, to my left, Chris, is the final box score of Ernie's last game, September 29th, 2002. And it was at Skydome in Toronto. I was there. I, I spent the entire day with Ernie. We had breakfast. We walked to the ballpark together. I was in the booth while he was calling his last game. I walked out of Skydome with him. We had soup after the game. Like here, like there are cameras everywhere. People want to all, you know, because it's Ernie's last game. I mean, this is a, a big story. And so the, we were walking out of Skydome. I said, Ernie, I'm sure you're exhausted. I'll let you go. Because he was spending the night before going back to Detroit. And he goes, no, you know what I would really like to do? I said, what's that, Ernie? And uh, and he would call me Charlie. Most, most of my dear friends call me Charlie. And so he goes, you know what I'd really like to do, Charlie? I said, what's that, Ernie? He goes, I'd love some soup. I said, what? He goes, I'd love some soup. I said, let's do it. We're having soup. And that was Ernie. He was so, so humble. Um, what a what a genuine human being. Um, just a, a very warm and caring man. And a, he left an indelible mark in my life. I was going to say, when I had Jerry Howarth on a couple yeah. months ago, he told me the exact same story with Ernie when he became the Jays' first uh, broadcaster in 81-82. He welcomed Jerry into the major leagues and had him and his wife marry over for soup as well. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's dirty. I was going to say I could spend hours and hours talking about him and Jerry Howarth and the late Tom Cheek and, and stuff like that. Man, I we were lucky. We I've grown up in an era of a lot of uh, wonderful radio and TV guys. Well, you know, uh, I think about the, the people in my life that have made such an impact in my world. And, you know, I, for example, with Raptors, you know, like Nelson Millman of the Fan 590, he could have picked anyone. He could have picked someone in Canada. I wasn't Canadian at the time. I was an American. And Nelson took the time to say, hey, you know what? I'm uh, This guy you know, has experience, University of Michigan, DePaul, sports director at WJR, WGN. I'm going for it. And I made a vow to Nelson that I would bust my chops however long I was employed. I was actually hoping, I mean, I had tried getting the NBA, came up short, Orlando, Milwaukee. You know, sometimes it was, well, you don't have NBA experience. No, but I have 18 years of college with DePaul in Michigan. Sometimes, well, we have a pre-F and post guy and we want to elevate them. I get it. No worries. You know, very similar to what Eric Smith with the Raptors because he knew, you know, Paul had done sideline work with the uh, Raptors and kind of been a, a studio individual as well. So they just slid into the play-by-play -play role and understandably so because they knew the franchise and the franchise knew them. But with me, I was an outsider. And I'll say this. Um, I worked for unbelievable people. Richard Petty, the head of MLSE at the time, uh, Tom Anselmi, my direct uh, supervisor. And I can't begin to tell you what a pleasure it was to work for Tom Anselmi. 
His door was always open. Great communicator, great encourager. We had an unbelievable one-on-one pipeline. It was fantastic. He is a great man now running the Edmonton Oilers. And then you had the owner and Larry Tannenbaum and Larry and Judy Tannenbaum. Forget basketball and hockey and all that stuff. As human beings, they are the finest people I've ever met. And I'll tell you what, with the Bulls, I look at the Reinstor family with Jerry and Michael, same cloth, same ilk, just great, great people. And for that period of time, my 10 years with Raptors, with Larry and Richard and Tom and all the people at MLSE, I couldn't have picked a better decade of my life. I was going to say, and everybody in your industry in the past year has been really great with me. And that's one of the reasons I want to uh, attempt to get into this industry, working with good people and people that are supportive and yep. want to try to help you out. And I told myself one day, if I'm lucky enough to make it in radio check and there's some young person that wants some help or guidance, I'm going to pay it forward as many people have done it with me so far. Yeah. And Chris, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. It's about giving back and it's about giving back with experience and knowledge. And I, I, again, you know, without the individuals that we just talked about, Chris, in my life and layers along the way, uh, I mean, I'm still learning. I have a lot to learn. I mean, <laughs> trust me. You know, I've been in this business a very long time and yet I learn something new every day. And, um, you know, I'm just so blessed and so thankful for people that took the time to stop and say, okay, listen, why don't we meet at noon tomorrow and let's go over your work? Or, hey, let's let's sit down, let's chart out some of the things you'd like to accomplish in your goals while you're here. And if I could tell a young Swirsk what I know now, it's to enjoy the moment. Don't worry about your next job. Enjoy the job you're in and take every day as a gift because tomorrow's promise to no one and leave it on the table every night, every day. And because here's the story, we're judged every day. You know, I have to report to someone with the bulls. They look at my work. They hear my work. They see the type of attitude I have. And this is daily. I don't believe in the word entitlement. I believe in the words hard work. And if you work hard and you do it with a sincere heart and a giving heart and an encouraging heart, I think it's very contagious because I want to be around positive people. I want to be around people that really care about you. I want to be around people that care about us. I want someone who's selfless and who says, hey, what can I do for you? Because then it has a ripple effect into every phase of your working environment, of your home environment. If you put others above yourself, to me, that's what it's all about. So when people come to me, whether it's yourself, Chris, or someone says, hey, I'd like to get in the business, or you know what? I've been doing Division II basketball for five years. I want to move up the ranks. Can you hear my work? What am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? What are some of the things I need to correct? How do I make that jump? Bring it on. Because you know what? I have walked in their shoes. 
I didn't become the play-by-play announcer in the NBA overnight, or for that matter, Division One with DePaul and the University of Michigan, which to me is like a pro franchise anyway. Um, but those things didn't happen overnight. It takes hard work. It takes commitment. It takes, okay, I got to get better. It's like a ball player. You know, everyone has a ceiling. You know, everyone can't hit 300. But the truth of the matter is you can't get better. And you may not be a Hall of Fame player. But guess what? If your skill set says you're going to be a 265 player with 12 home runs and 58 RBIs, then be the best 1258 and 265 player on the planet. It's okay. So if you right now are calling, whether it's play-by-play or anchoring in Canada, maybe you're right now in Tucson, Arizona, maybe you're in Tacoma, Washington, maybe you're in Burlington, Vermont, that's okay. Enjoy the moment. Get better. 100%. And after each podcast, Chuck, um, I downloaded audio. And then when I have downtime at work or I'm doing something else in the day, I like to listen to it and see what I did okay, what I did good, or what I can improve on. And and like I said, uh, Jerry Howard says uh, a a broadcast is like a podcast too. Uh, Try to do a complete game every time you're on the air, either with this or with uh, doing radio play-by-play. Just do the best you can and 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 try to be consistent as well. Absolutely. No question. And he's one of the nicest men I've I met too, Jerry. I've got a yep. lot of good things and and stuff like that. So my next question for you, Chuck. Um, what was it like starting your radio career out in the Chicago market? I believe it was 1979 with uh, WCFL uh, 1000, and then you ended up going to the, the loop, I guess. Yeah, well, um, I got my job at WCFL. I was doing um, talk shows in Columbus, Ohio. I was doing sports talk from 7 to 11. I was sitting in the baseball booth for home games with uh, John Gordon, the 79 Clippers, the Triple A Farm Club of the Yankees. And that was uh, that was quite a season. I mean, the Clippers got off to such a great start first year with the Yankees affiliation after uh, Columbus left the Pirates uh, organization. And George Steinbrenner did it right. I mean, he would bring in Billy Martin, Whitey Ford, Mickey Mantle. You know, <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, my. I mean, we would have him on the air. And I'm thinking, seriously? But uh, it was a lot of fun. And then all of a sudden in August, I get this call. And they said, hey, we're looking for somebody, 50,000 watt station in the Midwest. Your name's come up. Please send us an unfiltered air check of your work. And I thought it was a practical joke. I honestly did. I thought it was one of my friends who always played practical jokes on me. And so I hung up. And they called me back two minutes later and said, don't do that again. And <laughs> so then I kind of took it seriously. And I submitted my tape. I went in for an interview to Chicago. It lasted all of about 15, 20 minutes. Didn't think I got the job. I was happy in Columbus. Everything was cool. Next thing I know, I get a call about a week, week and a half later. You get the job. I start in Chicago. We, we joined the lowest rated 50,000 watt station in American broadcast history. We had a zero rating. Nobody listened because we had just changed formats from uh, rock and roll 
to News Talk. And it was crazy. And so bottom line is that um, things worked out and it caught on. Gary Deeb was great to me. And next thing I know, I get a call from The Loop, which is the number one station at the time, rock and roll. And they had the number one morning team across the country in Steve Dahl and Gary Meyer. And all of a sudden, I'm coming in with sports. And they're probably saying, really, sports? But the management wanted sports. They were really great visionaries. And it worked out. And then all of a sudden, a year and a half later, I get a call from WGN. And they said, we want you to come over. And when WGN calls, you got to go. I'm sorry. You got you to go. And so I went to GN. And I was there until WJR called for me to do the University of Michigan and uh, Sports Wrap, which was their evening sports talk show. I was there for four years before Toronto and the Bulls. Yeah, hey, I got to ask you this, too, since I got you on track. You were in Chicago at that time. Were you at that Tigers-White Sox doubleheader at Comer- uh, not Comerica, but Comiskey Park with the, uh, dem- uh, the disco demolition? No, I was oh. in Columbus. Oh, and I, I remember, happen. I'll tell you what, I remember I was listening to the game. And I was listening to the game with Ernie, and I could not believe it. Now, remember, these are pre-cell phone days. There is no cell phone. There are no mobile devices, nothing. Okay, so most of the country really didn't find out what was going on until the next day. Um, And so I saw, you know, the, the, the highlight. And the following day, I mean, oh, my word, you got to be kidding me. But that was the impact Steve Dahl had. Um, I, I don't think, other than maybe Howard Stern, Steve Dahl will probably go down the history of North America as far as the most influential radio host this country has ever seen. And I would probably put those two and uh, because that that's the impact Steve Dahl had uh, on this industry. I was going to say, and they were saying there was there was more than 50,000 people there. People were sneaking into the stadium. Yeah. And and I see old clips on YouTube with Harry Carey and uh, Jimmy Pearsall. Yeah. And it's just I enjoy I enjoy watching it and just reliving it again. It's just how 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 insane that how crazy that got. Yeah, you know, um, I, I knew I worked with Harry uh, at WGM with the Cubs. I knew Harry prior to that. Um, very unique individual. One thing about Harry, he loved baseball. Loved baseball. Very passionate about baseball. One of the best games. I I was there for all nine innings. Actually, extra innings with Harry was the Sandberg game of June twenty third, nineteen eighty four. That put Sandberg on the map in his MVP type season where, I mean, he just cranked it. Uh, and Bruce Suter, like, was, you know, just out of the world, out of his world as a great closer. But he was completely baffled that day, and the Cubs got to him. But Harry called one of the finest games, and Harry called a lot of great games. And prior to his stroke, um, Harry was still bringing it every day. And then post-stroke, uh, he was still Harry. But let me tell you what, Harry Carey will go down. Uh, again, you talk about impactful broadcasters. We don't have a Harry Carey 
in baseball broadcasting or for that matter, any sport today. I don't, I think that era is gone. Um, but where that era was, I mean, think of the broadcasters we had during that period of time, whether it was Vin Scully, Jack Buck, Harry Carey, Bob Prince. I mean, we could go right down the list of great broadcasters. I mean, Lindsey Nelson with the with the New York Mets. I'll bet you I could name one broadcaster, even in that generation, early 70s, where it started to turn a little bit, but Marty Brenneman in Cincinnati. I mean, just an incredible, incredible announcer. I mean, and Jack Brickhouse here in Chicago. I mean, we had Jack Brickhouse and Harry Carey. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. I totally agree with you. And then Al Michaels did uh, the Cincinnati Reds as well, and he just yep. he just won the uh, Ford, C, uh, Ford C Frick Award as well, and he's one of my favorites of all time yep. as well. Great, great, broad, tremendous broadcaster. And in Detroit, we were spoiled too, not just with Ernie and Paul, but George Cal and Al Kaline. Yeah. Uh, I don't think those two get enough credit for being a great uh, broadcasting crew. And uh, I think Al Kaline was just as good a, a color analyst as he was as a baseball player. Yeah. You know, I, I, I got to know both, not very well, but well enough where, you know, because I was at the park every day for WJR. And I, George Kell was such a classy individual as Al Kaline. And I still can't believe Al is gone because, you know, every time I think of Tigers baseball, honestly, I think of Ernie Harwell and Al Kaline, you know? I mean, the, the two just, they, they epitomized what Tiger ball was all about. Definitely. Um, I was going to say my next question for you. I read this on uh, your profile, uh, Chuck. Um, how did you come about the public address announcer position with the Bulls from 1980 to 1983? And did you replace Tommy Edwards? Yes. At the time when you took over for three years? I did not know this about you until I, I read this recently about you. Yeah. I, um, Tommy left to take a job in Boston and there were auditions. And I got a call from Brian McIntyre, then the PR director of the Bulls. And he says, would you come down? We'd like to try you out as PA announcer for the Bulls. So one afternoon I get there and there's the mic at the desk, you know, midcourt, Chicago Stadium. I sit down. Rod Thorne, the general manager, is there. And I had a relationship with Rod. I love Rod. And Rod Thorne, classy. Great man, love Rod. And so they gave me a roster, did the roster, and the Bulls teams back then, uh, well, the 80-81 club was good, but then it took a, a turn south prior to Jordan, of course. And uh, But I got the job, and it was awesome. It was fantastic. But then well, after I got the WGN job, my program director, Dan Fabian, said, listen, you know, you're with DePaul, you are with the Bulls, you got to make a decision what you want to do here. And I wanted to do play-by-play. -play. I took a leap of faith, and trust me, when Jordan started taking off, was I second-guessing myself? Absolutely. I could have been the PA voice during the Jordan era. And I'm, I'm really, you know, I mean, part of me was going, no, what did I do? But in the long run, as it worked out, you know, probably without that, if I had not left from DePaul to Michigan, I would not have been in the NBA. I can tell you right now, without doing the play-by-play -play for the University of Michigan, 
I don't get an MBA job. That's a fact. Okay. Um, one thing about um, college basketball, what is the biggest difference? You've done both, obviously, Chuck. What is the biggest uh, difference in calling college basketball to the NBA? I just had to ask you that. Okay. Well, other than, you know, the athleticism, <laughs> you're talking about elite players um, is the 24 second shot clock. It's one thing to go into, you know, the upper deck and call a game when you're just doing a, an air check to yourself and you're doing a mock broadcast. It's another thing when that red light goes on, you're on the big stage to call a game. So we had a lockout in 98, 99, and I got the Raptor job in 98, but because there was a lockout with the owners and players, we didn't begin play until early February of 99. But training camps opened in January. We did my first ever on-air play-by-play of an NBA game. Came at Skydome with the Raptors and Celtics. And I remember I was nervous to begin with. And I was coming down with a little cold. And I'm thinking, this is great. And I was stressed, totally stressed. And I'm sitting with Jack Armstrong. And I could not believe how fast the game was. And if you ask players, what's the biggest difference between NBA and college other than getting major coin, they will tell you how fast the game is. That ball gets over the timeline, three seconds, boom. That shot's going up seven to nine seconds. And sometimes, you know, 10 or 11. But, I mean, in college, you're throwing the ball around. Because in college, you may have a couple of really good elite athletic players. But for the most part, these are really good players, athletic players. But some teams, obviously, have more talent, as we have in all sports. But in college, to really have a chance to win a ball game, you probably have to play within your strengths. You can't run up and down the court with elite NCAA teams. So in, in pros, though, all these guys are good, and they know how to run a fast break. That was my biggest, biggest challenge as a broadcaster. Prep work remains the same. I do, I do the same amount of prep work at the NBA level that I do in high school when I was doing high school ball. That hasn't changed. You know, I love prep work. I actually love prep work. I love calling games, but I love prep work because it, you can really dig in to not only players, but stats. You, you have a chance to talk to different broadcasters, writers, coaches, players. All that, to me, galvanizes and morphs into one. But regarding the actual play-by-play, the, the, the speed of the game, no doubt about it. Okay, and I was going to say, one of my social media friends, uh, Bess McLeod, her late husband, Fred McLeod, uh, once told me that too. Be prepared. And I saw a video uh, clip of how much he did behind the scenes before yep. broadcast. And, and that's why I liked the, the late uh, Fred McLeod. And that was one of his things is always be prepared and do your research. You know, every time that, um, you know, all the coaches in the NBA have their idiosyncrasies. Uh, some allow you to watch uh, shoot arounds. Others, no. And I've dealt with both. 
and I respect both decisions. Obviously, for my job, it helps me watching the shoot around. The trust factor is there. But if a coach says, no, I don't want you in, okay, fine. You know, that's your decision, your choice. I get it. But uh, Fred, the Cavaliers were great because they allowed Fred into everything. And so he saw a lot. And let me tell you what, he worked very, very hard. To this day, I still can't believe he's gone because he was he was like always around with the Cavaliers, like always, pregame, postgame, everything. He was doing it all. I was going to say, and uh, he spent many years in the Detroit market too. Sure did. I, 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 met, I met Fred the first go-around when he was in Cleveland, the first go-around, and um, – Boy, you know, I mean, he had a great career. And uh, I, and he got to call that Cavaliers uh, championship sure in 2016 with um, uh, Mr. Cavalier himself. I'm Car. Yes, yes. And uh, I was going to say, yeah. And, and one, one thing you, I've learned too, Chuck, is life is short. And it, you might always enjoy each day because you're right. It's short. You just don't know when it's your when it's your time. Correct. Okay. Are you still okay for a few more minutes? Yeah, we got a couple more. Okay, no problem. Um, what was it like doing the Chicago Beers uh, pre- and post-game shows that you did uh, as well at one point? Uh, fantastic experience, especially during that era of Bears football. The 85 Bears, without doubt, will go down as one of the greatest teams for a single season in the history of the National Football League. We had different characters on that team. I mean, to be around Walter Payton, Jim McMahon, you know, Dan Hampton, Richard Dent, Jimbo Covert, uh, you know, all these players. I mean, they're, we're talking Mike Singletary. I mean, all the, the Gary Fensick. I mean, we had Wilbur Marshall. We had Otis Wilson. We had Dave Dursa. All the, these were Hall of Fame great stars, all pro stars. Dave Dursa, rest his soul. I mean, all these players, I mean, you know, to walk in and you see these players bigger than life. And to, for me to have a chance to do pre and post, oh, it was great. I was going to say my late father took me to my first NFL game. Uh, that year, the Bears won the Super Bowl against the Lions at uh, the Silverdome at Pontiac, Michigan. And as a 13-year-old kid, I was like, wow, this team is just awesome. And I just wish back then I had a camera like they did now. I would have taken two, 300 pictures and stuff like <laughs> that. So that was a great first NFL game to see the, the Super Bowl Bears uh, beat up the Lions at the Silverdome. So, um, okay, I was going to say, I just got a couple more questions. Um, this one I wanted to ask you anyways, how much of an adjustment was it uh, moving to Toronto and doing play-by-play -play in Canada when you came over from uh, WJR? Was it an adjustment? Of course so. I mean, we're talking about different countries from the United States to Canada, but uh, the people at MLSC were so, so uh, welcome to – moving from the United States. They opened their arms. They were warm. They were so appreciative of the fact that, you know, I made this move. And on the other hand, I was appreciative. They gave me a chance, but it was, it was a perfect storm, so to speak, that turned into a heavenly experience. I love my 10 years in Canada. I can't say enough good things about the people in Canada about my relationship that I had in our neighborhood, 
with our church, with our front office, with our players, with our coaching staff, with everyone connected with the Raptors organization. I can't say one negative thing I had. As I mentioned, I had an outstanding employee-employer relationship. I love my boss, Tom Anselmi, so much. I loved our ownership with Larry Tannenbaum. I loved you know Richard Petty, our president. I mean, when I say I love them, I mean, it's, it's almost like if, if Jerry or Michael Ryan sort of called me today with the Bulls and said, I need you on my doorstep at 2 a.m. in the morning, I'm there. That's how much I think of them. Well, that's how much I think of the Raptors organization and those people because I really love them. I, I had a wonderful experience, not, not week to week. I had a great day-to-day experience because they cared about me. They cared about me as a human being. They cared about my family. And to me, that to me is what it speaks volumes of. When I was sports director at WGN and WJR, I really cared about my employees that worked with me, not for me, but with me. So if something was going on in their personal life or if I wanted to help them grow professionally, I was there for them. Loyalty is very, very important. And so is transparency. And I was all in. And so that period of time, those 10 years, awesome. Okay. And this one I had to ask, I had to get this question uh, before I let you go. Um, When did you come up with the uh, salami and cheese and onions, baby onions phrases? I had to ask that one. Well, let's break it down. Onions. You know, Bill Raftery uses onions. The first time I actually heard onions was not from Bill Raftery. It was from Ray Meyer. I worked with Ray Meyer. Um, he was head coach at DePaul, legendary, legendary human being and coach. But one day we're talking and he used the word onions. So as a player really steps up, so to speak, read between the lines. And so I just incorporated onions, baby onions when there's a big play, a big shot that was made. Now, uh, Salami and Cheese got a letter, not an email, but a letter from a diehard Raptor fan. So listen, you know, when when I watch every game, I, I'm locked into the TV. I'm starving. I, I, you know, so when you think the Raptors have won a game, can you just, you know, just say, hey, the Raptors, they, they've got the win. So I can, you know, turn it off and go to the refrigerator and, you know, make a sandwich. And by the way, Chuck, I like salami and cheese. So I'm looking at it. Okay. So um, about a couple games later, Raptors are up by 11 with about 18 seconds to go. Get out the salami and cheese, mama. This ball game is over. And in the headset, the producer said, uh, Chuck, uh, like, what? What are you doing? And I hit the mute button to talk back where only the producer can hear. I said, don't worry about it. We'll, you know, we'll talk after the game. Well, the next day, the receptionist with the Raptors calls me and says, we're getting flooded with people about your call last night. They love it. So I just, I went with it. And, and all of a sudden, T-shirts, banners, players, they are coming to the game in the last like one minute when we're up by 20. Have you called the salami and cheese yet? I was going to, 
I was going to say, and uh, one of my favorites, uh, George Blaha, has some of his uh, catchphrases as, as, as well, too. Yeah, he, I love George. And again, here's a guy still bringing the passion at this point in his career. Great. I mean, Al McCoy's 88, 88, still calling NBA games. I'm awesome. very I'm very lucky because I have him doing the Pistons and Merle Reese still doing the Eagles games. Merle Reese, another still, terrific yeah, guy. Yes, so Merle Reese with that broadcast voice, you know. Oh, oh definitely. I'm spoiled as a sports. Oh fan. my gosh. Jaworski with a handoff to Wilbur Montgomery, who cuts to the right, slashes left, and tackled for a seven-yard game. And the Eagles with second and three at the Bears 32. <laughs> that was pretty good. That is pretty good. And like I said, um, as much as I like the TV guys, I like listening to the guys. Yeah, the local announcers. Yes, Absolutely. definitely. Definitely. And then just two quick questions. Uh, I was going to ask you, what was it like? Uh, what was your feeling when you were introduced uh, into the Chicagoland Sports Hall of Fame just a few years ago? Wow. Well, I mean, it, it was mind-blowing. I mean, to be recognized in the city of Chicago Sports Hall of Fame with all these athletes, all the great media people from hundreds of years ago, uh, it really touched my heart. And I'm very humbled, very grateful, but really humbled. Because listen, this is a tough business. Uh, you're going to have your highs, you're going to have your lows, you have your joys, you're going to have your challenges. You're going to be patted on the back, you're going to get rejected. I mean, I listen. I, I've been rejected a lot. I, I mean, I've been rejected by different organizations. I've been rejected, you know, sometimes you go for a position or you're overlooked and it hurts. It really hurts. Um, but then you think, okay, in the big picture of things, I've got my health. I've got a beautiful family. I'm very thankful. I have a great wife. And so you, you work through those things as hard as it is because no one wants to be rejected. No one wants to hear the word no, but I always say the word no, make it a yes. And so I'm not going to allow rejection to take away what I have earned or have people have showered upon me with their kindness. And that's why uh, I, I always remind myself, stay hungry, stay humble. That's exactly what Sean McDermott uh, says for the Buffalo Bills. Stay humble, stay hungry. And that's what I'm trying to take in what I'm doing with my podcast too. And I've had a few people reject me, not uh, turn me down for coming on, but I didn't take it personally. I just kept working hard, Chuck, and trying to keep improving myself. And a lot of the stuff that you've been mentioning is what I'm trying to apply into what I'm trying to do. Good, good stuff. And my last question for you, Chuck, is um, any advice for those, not just myself, looking to pursue a career in radio? And where can people find you on social media? And what is your favorite arena outside the United Center to call a basketball game? That's an extra question I threw in there. Sorry. Okay. Now, we'll, okay, we'll go in reverse order. Um, okay. Obviously, I love Toronto. So the Scotia Bank, formerly the ACC. So that would be one. Um, from a broadcast standpoint, Okay, I mean, the garden is the garden, but it's a horrible broadcast location. We're on the eighth floor, and it's not good. Um, but broadcast location, honestly, I mean, uh, I love Cleveland. Cleveland, we have this little Joe Tate perch, and it's great. You see the floor. We're still close enough. I love going into Staples. K 
can't, I mean, those from a broadcast location, it's great. Phoenix, we're right there midcourt on the floor for how long? Who knows? But those are just some of my favorites. Uh, let's see. You also wanted to touch upon just advice for those looking to pursue a career in radio and where can people can find you on social media. Okay. I think people should be themselves. You can take snippets and hear things like we all do in broadcasting, but you be you, okay? All of us are created uniquely. And Chris, you're different from me. I'm different from Joe. Joe's different from Fred. Fred's different from Bill. All these things. Yeah, Anne is different from Marie. Marie is different from Paula. All these things. We're all created uniquely, individually. We have our complete mind, body, soul. So just be you. Just be you. And if you're you and you're on your journey, the thing that I would always say is, how badly do you want it? And if you can do it in a dignified, professional way, how badly do you want it? Are you willing to put the time, the effort, the energy into getting better? We're talking about getting better. We're not talking about going through the motions and expecting free lunches. There is no such thing as a free lunch in life. And I use that as a metaphor because the truth of the matter is, you know, there is always somebody willing to work. And I'm going to leave you with a quote, and then we'll get into social media, and then I'll let you go. In 1979, I told you I was working in Columbus. And my group of friends, one of them knew a, a jazz blues singer uh, that worked at a club. It was a Sunday night. We go to the club. I had never been to the club. I didn't know, you know, anyone. And after one of his opening sets during the intermission, he walks over to the table. His name's Dick Mackey. I, I have lost all connection with him. I mean, I wasn't his good friend. I met him once, but I, I don't even know if he's still around or if he's living, not living, whatever. But he left me with one of the most powerful statements I've ever heard. So we're sitting at a table and he goes, Chuck, I'm going to tell you something. I said, what's that, Dick? He goes, you better take care of your homework because if you don't, somebody will. And I paused. Now, again, this is 1979. It's smoky room. You know, it's a jazz club, a whole bit. And I said, I'm sorry. He goes, Chuck, you better take care of your homework because if you don't, somebody will. And it resonated through my brain. And because of that, I started thinking about that. And no one, no one was going to outwork me. There might be a lot, and there are a lot better broadcasters than me on the planet. I get it. I know that. I can live with that. Because everyone's skill set's different, just like a ball player's skill set's different. But I'm telling you right now, Chris, nobody will outwork me. Nobody. Nobody will bring more energy to a broadcast than me. Nobody will outwork me. And that's not saying, that's not egotistical. That's a statement about my work ethic that I developed as a young person through my father and through seeing mentors, through my mother, a school teacher, taking on two additional jobs after my dad died. And I say that reverently, not from a 
arrogant standpoint because she said, you know what? This is what I got to do. I got to provide for my family. And instead of collecting a, a, a paycheck from the government to say, well, the government's going to take care of us. No, she said, I'm working. I'm going to, I'm going to find ways to work. She taught school. She worked in the gift shop of the hospital in Bellevue, Washington. And on the weekends, she was an actor and doing other things for the local theater company in Bellevue. It was called the Play Barn. And so she worked three jobs so we could have food on the table and clothes on the back. That exactly. to me is what it's all about. So, all right, um, I'm gonna give you the social media platforms and then I'm gonna say goodbye. Um, you can reach me on Twitter at CTS Bulls, CTS Bulls, okay, on Twitter, um, Facebook. Look for me, Chuck Swirsky. There are a lot of, um, a lot of imposters out there, but uh, there's a, the profile picture is myself and my wife. So that's on Facebook, uh, Instagram. It's Swirsk underscore bulls swirsk underscore bulls on instagram so i think we pretty much covered it right yeah i was gonna say and my friend ryan uh he's in special olympics uh he's a huge bulls fan are you able to say hi out to ryan for me he's ryan go bulls he that'll make that'll make you just made his day for him and he's a super nice guy and he's so passionate about the bulls and he was so excited that i was able to get you to come on my podcast and i want to say chuck Thank you so much for coming on. And I'm hoping maybe again in the future, uh, maybe I can have you come on and we can maybe talk a little more uh, current NBA hoops with the Bulls and Pistons and maybe the rivalry will be uh, reunited again. Yeah, thank you. And again, uh, because I'm an employee of the Bulls, I can't talk about what's going on. So I yeah. appreciate your understanding along those lines. But um, do take care, Chris. Great job and have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too, Chuck. Keep in touch. Thank you so much. Anyways, guys, uh, I wanted to say thank you again to Chuck Swarski, uh, the radio play-by-play -play voice of the Chicago Bulls on uh, the score 670 in Chicago for coming on today. I uh, just want to say, everybody, thank you for watching on YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. And uh, I'm just going to show a clip of uh, some of Chuck's best calls uh, when he was with the Toronto Raptors before I go. Just one second, guys. I'm just going to put this on. And this is just some old clips of Chuck. Toronto Raptors now, like most play-by-play -play guys, he is polarizing. Some love him, some hate him. So depending upon your perspective, here's the top 10 reasons why you're sad he's leaving or the top 10 reasons why you're glad he's leaving.
downtown Kane Nova Scotia, downtown Thornhill, from downtown Brandon, Manitoba, home of the week, James. Leon fades, fires, ripped out! Raptors win, Raptors win, Raptors win! This ball game is over. Raptors win, Raptors win, Raptors win. Give it up, Bosch! Oh my goodness! That was sick, wicked, and nasty. Bosch for CB4. Shots, I'll do it again. Ah, uh, this is this is ridiculous. Oh, come on! I right want a sick, wicked, and nasty. Here's DJ Ford. Going upstairs! Oh my goodness! Apollo 33 to Mario Bowles. That was sick, wicked, and nasty. Ball game right here. Calder in the paint. On the grab up and good. Down it fell. Onions, baby onions. Jose Calder on and one, and it's taken away by Bosch. The 55. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Onions, baby onions! Now we'll do this foul down the floor. And it's a deflection by Ruffin. And the play continues. Peterson. Salami and cheese, mama. This ball game is over. There you go, folks. It's all good. It's all good. Anyways, guys, that clip was courtesy of uh, TSN, and that was uh, some of Chuck's best calls when he was with Toronto for 10 years, and it's hard to believe he's been with the Bulls now uh, 13 years. So, again, I want to say thank you to Chuck Swarski uh, for coming on this morning, and everybody who's been watching, thank you so much. Uh, Chuck is one of the one of the best in the business, and I'm hoping maybe I can have him come on again in the future and maybe talk a little more uh, NBA basketball. Uh, anyways, guys, before I go, uh, live with CDP podcast, the audio version is on Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, and CastBox as well. And just to let you know, guys, before I head out and get some sleep, um, my next podcast is tomorrow, Saturday, August 7th, 445, uh, Noel Smith and Dylan Baker, uh, the TV play-by-play uh, -play -play and color analyst for the uh, Intercounty Baseball League's uh, London Majors will be on live with CDP tomorrow at 445 as well. And anybody in the Gulf area tonight, the Gulf Nighthawks, uh, finished their regular season and uh, regular season uh, tonight and home uh, regular season tonight at 7 o'clock at the Sleeman Center against the Ottawa Blackjacks. Uh, Guelph's 4-9 right now, but uh, they came off a big win against Ottawa Wednesday night up in Ottawa. So if you guys are interested in going to a game, uh, the Nighthawks can have up to 1,000 people at the Sleeman Center. Just give them a call, uh, phone the ticket office, or uh, go on nighthawks.ca. 
Uh, I will be at the Gulf Nighthawks game tonight against Ottawa as a volunteer, and I'm looking forward to it. And uh, CBL is a great action, and I'm looking forward to the playoffs. And, and maybe, hopefully, Gulf might even have a playoff game, but we'll see. Anyways, guys, like I said, I uh, just want to say thank you, everybody, for watching live on YouTube, Twitter, and uh, Twitch streaming as well. And I'm hoping, again, one day to be back on Facebook, uh, but that's out of my control. So, Anyways, guys, uh, like I said, I'm going to call it a show, but I just want to say thank you all again for watching live with CDP. I hope you guys all have a great Friday, and uh, we'll definitely talk to you guys tomorrow at 445 with uh, Noel Smith and Dylan Baker uh, from the uh, Rogers TV in London, uh, London Majors Intercounty uh, Baseball Crew. All right, guys, take care and have a good night.